so the flies don't come. School days. This is off the list. And we are in. The motorcycles have hopefully gone away now. Outside us. <laughs> no, out, never, never, never. Everyone, it's a beautiful day in Vancouver, and everyone is driving oh. like crazy. Anyway, um, welcome back, everyone, to <laughs> Off the List, the podcast yeah. where we both have a list. And we crossing that shit off. I'm Ben. We are. I provide the music. Nadira, she's the other co-host, the fabulous, fabulous movie provider. And some would say, I mean, I would say it twice as I just did. And <laughs> and this week we will be talking about Milo slash Rap Ferrari slash Scallops Motel slash whatever the hell you want to call him. His album, So the Flies Don't Come, and. Despite these amazing, debatably, school days. But first, we're going to be talking about the album. And to give a little bit of background, I mentioned this fun fact about So the Flies Don't Come last week, but I'm going to say it again, which is that this album came out the year that To Pimp a Butterfly came out, which is, you kind of have to be living under a rock to not know that that album had just a significant impact on the music world. Kendrick Lamar absolutely dominated the conversation around hip-hop in 2015 this album is very very different from that it is very heady very nerdy bookish it uses as a description in its own raps but at the same time it got like a very mixed critical reception but online there was a movement behind this album and it garnered such ridiculous respect for itself that on fan-voted sites, such as Rate Your Music and things like that, it became the best album of 2015 over To Pimp a Butterfly and every other album that came out that year. So when you see something like that, it, because for me, I think it's really fascinating when a group of people all say, like, nah, fuck what the critics say, like, this is it. This album for me also represents a crystallizing of a very different moment in hip-hop than what Tepimba Butterfly was saying. Kind of almost the other side of the coin of what hip-hop was doing at that time. And frankly, it's one of my favorite albums in this genre and of that year as well. Because I think what it's doing is really special. And I don't want to give too much more away. I just want to ask Nadira, what did you think about it? Yes. What did I think about this album that has an insect in the title? Um, I <laughs> multiple insects. <sighs> plural. That shit was plural. Um, I don't know. And here's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best response. Here's why I say that. Mm -hmm. I think I like it. <sighs> See, I'm <sighs> okay. So here's where I'm here's where I actually come down on it, right? Like here's my like hard like if I'm giving you the cold hard truth. I to be completely honest, I listened to it twice. I did not find it that memorable. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I enjoyed it when it was on, but after it was over, I couldn't tell you like a single like it was almost like I had never listened to it at all. Mm -hmm. Now, the benefit of the doubt that I'm going to give it is 
This past week was a little a little hectic, a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps my brain just wasn't in the right moment to receive it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because generally it seems like my type of thing, you know? Yeah. But it just wasn't, it just wasn't, it was really nice when I was listening to it. And I was like, okay, cool. This is like vibey. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, when it was done, I wasn't like, there was nothing. Yeah. It was kind of like in Harry Potter when Dumbledore pulls the memories out of his brain yeah. and it's just like the wispy white stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was like. Yeah. I do think this album has potentially because it throws so much at you and his lyrics are so dense. There is the potential for it to gloss over really hard. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was less of a glossing over and more of a there was wasn't something that like really got me into it in the first place. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't that like one song or one line that hooked me to get me to really, really zero in. Whereas I feel like other albums we've listened to for better and for worse, because some of them was like, I'm zeroed in and I would like to not be. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Because I'm scared. Um, AKA Death Grips. No, no, no. But yeah, I I feel like there was, it it was just missing that like hook to really get me like in, into it, Mm -hmm. you know? But I do, I mean, I feel like in the moments that I was kind of like really, really tuned in when I was really trying to be, it it read as like it's something I would want to read, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like it was like oh this seems like nice poetry. I don't think that the it it being an album like with music is necessarily doing much for me, but like this is cool. I feel like I'm reading a dictionary, but in like a nice poetic way. Yeah, you know it's 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 and that's I like dictionaries. Who doesn't like dictionaries? You know. I mean, I fully understand. I will say that for me. I can just think of so many things that hook me into this album in terms of lyrics. The my yeah. like my favorite and maybe my my favorite bar ever, like ever 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 is the line where Milo says, "I don't eat sugary foods because I don't have health insurance. This machine runs off of hood magic and endurance." Like that line on True Nen is one of my favorite bars ever. And that's just like pretty deep in the album in one example. But there are so many moments where he is rapping in this really almost spoken word style. It verges on it at times. And he is throwing, as you said, almost a dictionary at you where there are these really complex words that he is somehow fitting in between like he'll he'll rhyme a word like eudaimonia in the same phrase that he'll use like McDonald's. He has mm-hmm. this really interesting style of putting a really complex idea or concept and reducing it down to our actual experiences on a day-to-day basis. And what I think this album represents and why I picked it specifically is because this movement of he literally says art rap on the album where in that amazing line, you know, Mike called it art rap so that you wouldn't think it was hostile. And Mm -hmm. this movement of art rap, which is a kind of like style of hip hop where it's a lot more dejected, lower flows, more nocturnal or hip hypnagogic, almost at times beats you could use as a descriptor. Like this whole genre came to, in my opinion, almost a head with this album, where you had a 
kind of this lightning in a bottle moment where everything they did on this project was spectacular. Milo had been putting out projects for years and people had been loving them, but this one, just everyone who was into this scene collectively said, no, this album is like everything that is amazing about the scene crystallized. And it's fascinating because the scene has shifted so much since this album came out. It's almost like it has remained the high watermark of that moment. And now it's shifted more towards um, the Pink Sifus and the mics of the world instead mm-hmm. of the Milos and the Open Mic Eagles. What's really like frustrating to me in a good way, and this has nothing to do with the album and more to do with you and I, is that we finally have an album where you're like, the lyrics are doing it for me. And I'm the one who's like, mm, I don't know about that chief. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's true. Cause the, how many albums, I mean, look, Kenny Siegel's production is amazing. I think it's really, really. The production was pretty amazing. Subtle and nuanced, but when you actually pay yeah. attention to it, you're, you realize just how much precision there is in it. But at the same time, it's true. I, this is, he's one of my favorite lyricists working. You know, I'm really particular about, my lyrics especially when it comes to rap songs like I feel like I either want them to be super boasty and like Mm. hard or I want them to be like really poetic and paint a picture right and I feel like one line might be great and the next line might be great but the way those lines might interact wasn't always like I don't know I just I just I don't know it's hard for me to explain but it, it wasn't the most like captivating he creates an atmosphere through multiple one-liners that are all tangentially related, but none are actually specifically tying into each other and creating an overall story. Is what? Yeah, and, and I, I'm a yeah. story girl, and mm-hmm. I feel like I do like that at times, um, because I feel like someone else who does that, you know, let's say not maybe not a rapper, but is Solange, right? Mm-hmm. Like she does that a lot, and she does that really well, and I really love her lyricism, but I think. It's 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 something. It it needs a little. It's missing like some paprika. Yeah, you know, it's missing some pimento, also known as allspice, depending on if it's ground or in the whole berry form. But anyway, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's. I just want it to. I just. I, I want it to do. Mm-hmm. Can you? I don't know if you can hear this, but I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm gesturing with my hands, listeners, the four people who listen to this podcast. <laughs> but that's the thing is that you know it. Not everything is going to click, and for me, this kind of vignette style of lyricism with how he delivers it on themes of philosophy, because he was a philo- he studied philosophy in college, and also maybe that's why. Yeah, I mean, I don't like philosophy. Majors. Yeah. <laughs> the literal man who made our freaking theme song is a philosophy major. Why would you do him like that? I like him, but. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. I will also add some like weird other fun facts about this album on the song souvenir. You've got Hemlock Ernst who spits the second verse, right? Mm -hmm. And he spits a really heady verse talking about Murakami and all these weird-ass things. And then I remember being like, wow, I wonder who this rapper is. It's the singer of Future Islands, a.k.a. the guy (laughs) who's freaking seasons change or or for your yeah. the tiktok heads like running away is easy <laughs> is a leave well yeah hard. that's the one that's 
I mean, it's the yeah, that's the that's the better one mm-hmm. to be completely honest. Yeah. And so he's on this album, but again, he doesn't sing. He raps like a really weird, heady, introspective verse. And then you've got Open Mike Eagle on this project in relation to the Hellfire Club, which is the kind of art collective that they had set up earlier. And Open Mike Eagle is referenced, I think it's like 17 times on this album before he shows up. Like, it's a really large number of Milo just being like referencing Mike in his bars. And then mm-hmm. finally, when he shows up, he just again gives one of the weirdest verses of his entire career, which for Open Mike Eagle is quite the feat, but just like literally ending it by being like, hibiscus flower, ow. Just, it, it's like one of the weirdest verses ever. And those are two of the features that I feel like highlight some of the weirder parts of this album. Yeah, man. To be fair, like the person who's really winning right now is him. So because we're sitting here talking and he's just making all the money from all of our little debates about which is better Mm -hmm. and what we like. Um, I can't believe he spelled Ferrari that way, though. That really makes me want to... It ends in an A, y'all. It ends in an A. And as someone who has taken Italian, three semesters of it, might I add, that ain't no Italian spelling of Ferrari. The normal spelling of Ferrari is the Italian spelling of Ferrari. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll totally eat my words here. Okay. Well, you know what? For his sake, I'm going to pray that you're wrong, because he's made an enemy, if you're not. Um, All right. Time... Time to move on. Whether we're moving forward is unclear, but we are moving. And we are moving to Spike Lee's second Spike Lee joint, School Days, which was released in 1988, directed, written, and produced by none other than Spike Lee himself, starring Spike Lee himself and (laughs) other, like, super famous and prolific black actors and actresses actresses at the time including Giancarlo Esposito one of my personal favorites of all time Lawrence Fishburne Tisha Campbell Kadeem Hardison Bill Nunn also one of my favorites of all time rest in peace Radio Rahim Roger Guinevere Smith Jasmine Guy Whitley you know it's it's every everything all the people all the times it is one of the most formative if not the most formative depictions of life at a historically black college and or university also known as an hbcu which i'm hoping you knew um and oh, it, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> well i meant more the listeners but yeah um but yeah it um details or i guess shows um a, a clash of sorts between two groups of students about a myriad of topics um including colorism elitism classism activism all the isms and much much more it depicts the specifically when i say like depicts hbcu life depicts the fraternity and sorority life at hbcus um and the heritage of black greek life and the criticisms of black greek life um and i it's i mean i think that's all i can do in terms of an overview um Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Ben, uh, just generally at first, and then we can, like, dive in deeper. What did you think of this film? So, 
similarly to how you had been waiting yes. weeks yes. Give it to, to me. hit me with that yes. sentence, I did not like this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I feel and I feel kind of bad about it because I do really I like really respect Spike like Lee. And I really respect what he is trying to do in this movie. And at times, you know when you like don't know enough about something to like that you like you know that you don't know enough about something so you're like I don't like it but I feel bad not liking it because am I just not getting it um there's a little bit of that there but first I want to just like praise the film for a couple things that I did think were awesome and kind of so I want to praise it for a couple of things that I think are great and I really respect the film for doing and the one the first is that it feels like it is a black movie that does not give a fuck about a white audience and at all and <laughs> at fucking all yeah at fucking all and i love that i love the the idea of a movie made by pretty much i there there probably are white people like somewhere behind the scenes but no one visible in yeah. this movie is white and I think that's great, and it, and like not caring about the white audience or the white gaze in a way that like shitty movies like The Green Book do. I think that it has such a really great understanding of aesthetic and how it creates the time period and the atmosphere of the college. I think those are all great. However, while I was watching it, I had a couple of major complaints. The first is that why is it so long? And every character is so one-dimensional. And I mean that to say that, like, I didn't feel like I really got any really complex or deeply nuanced characters, despite the fact this movie is, like, two hours long. He had so much time to tell a story, and I didn't feel like any of the characters really hit me beyond, like, their immediate impression. Especially for the woman, might I add, which is yes. criticism that Spike Lee, besides Crooklyn... And maybe even she's got to have it. But I think even that, like Spike Lee is known for not writing good female characters. Continue. So that was my first major criticism. My second major criticism was that a lot of times, while I enjoyed the aesthetic choices that the movie would make, like I thought they were performed well, it felt like he was doing so many different concepts and ideas that I didn't know what this movie was trying to be. An example being that there would be a scene where there's this really, instead of like showing a cat fight between these two sororities, they have this dance scene. And it's really long and it's really played out. But it, it feels so random <laughs> at the same time. Like it, it's really awesome to watch how talented they are, but it doesn't really feel like it like narratively fits to me. And that's similarly with the ending of the movie where I'm just kind of like, I don't get, like, I like, I get what they're trying to do, but like, why are they doing it this way? Like it, there's just so many, so many like arts, like artistic narrative choices that he takes that don't feel like they all lead up to one greater piece. And instead are just trying to make this like mosaic that I think feel like just fits like in like an awkward jumbly way. Yeah. Uh, okay, so first of all, abandon the they. It's a he, and it's Spike Lee alone. And I think yeah. what is commonly said about it and agreed is like you can tell how formative it is in terms of telling or showing a specific aspect of the black experience. But 
there are a lot of things about it that I mean even at the time just like are questionable my favorite thing about Spike Lee and it doesn't always work out or it's not always pleasant is he's not afraid he's so brave he's not Mm -hmm. afraid to have work even though it can be like woefully misguided as this is sometimes but he's not afraid to like talk about the more negative customs aspects beliefs that exist in the black community and he's not afraid to have black people disagree with each other very vocally and like very assuredly and i think that this movie what i like about it even though it's handled in like you were saying like a very simplified way like it doesn't have that many layers like a lot of the characters are incredibly one-dimensional Um, And a lot of the viewpoints that they are arguing for are argued for in a very one-dimensional way or with one-dimensional reasons. But, like, these are important conversations and important questions that needed to be had and needed to be asked. With that being said, (laughs) not... I mean, I think, just first of all, I think my biggest criticism of this film is the way all of the women are treated all of the time ever. Like, the conversation that they try to have, like... The whole setup and especially with that that musical number which i love that musical number so fucking much even when they have that it's still like so one-dimensional and i just hate and i mean something so fucking horrible happens in this film oh, God. to one of the yeah. one of the, the girls yeah and it's like only one character gets upset about it and we don't even explore that that much. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it's, it's so shallow. Like, oh, she just goes through all this really, really deep fucking trauma and this horrible shit just for like two characters to like finally have that tension pop. Can I also say like, not only does, is that moment horrific? Like I really, it's so I, bad. I, I like, I couldn't believe that, that he was going that way. Like I kept thinking he was going to pump the brakes at some point and then he just didn't. Um, oh my god! And, and maybe, so th- and you might disagree with this, but like I don't, as as an actor, I don't feel like Spike Lee has the emotional range to even carry that scene. And so he, because he is such a like integral part of how shitty that scene is, because yeah. his acting is so fucking flat, and he's just like. He's like, I ain't a verge no more. And I'm just like, God, why are you saying it? Like, like He's really I, not that good of an actor, especially no. when you compare him to people like Tisha Campbell, who is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Giancarlo Esposito, who Giancarlo is Esposito phenomenal. Oh, he's so he's good in this movie. so good at being so fucking bad in this movie. And not mm-hmm. in a way that's like the Breaking Bad so good at being bad, where you're like, oh, like, you know, Gustavo Fring, like, love mm-hmm. him one of my favorite villains of all time which he is this is like he's so convincing because you know this guy like you know this guy who would do this thing who has said this stuff and he's yeah. so convincing and then you have fucking spike lee it's yeah he just, no, he, he just can't he just can't hold the candle next to it and with even like if if that scene was acted well, we would still be cringing at it. The fact yeah. that Spike Lee butchers it in addition just makes it like nearly unwatchable. Yeah. I do have to say that one of the things I liked about it, I do actually really like the character of Lawrence Fishburne 
I feel like mm-hmm. he's the least one-dimensional out of all of them, even though he's not that well fleshed out. But he definitely goes through this whole thing where, you know, he starts off being very, very, like, woke, liberation-minded for all his brothers and sisters out there kind of thing. The same way he fucking is in Boys in the Hood, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> that he's just, like, the yeah. same character, basically. It's, mm-hmm. like, just younger. literally Furious Styles going to college. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, he, he kind of goes to this change where it's, like, then he's criticized for prioritizing this, like, image of wokeness over actually caring about the people that he claims he cares about and the people closest to him and like doing things that are actually good for his life right yeah for the lives of people around him and i really like watching him grapple with that even though we don't see him grapple with that that much like i like that the question is presented i like that we see him grapple with it a little bit i like that at the end of the day he's still like with his friends and with his girlfriend and i was gonna say my favorite part of the movie is when him and his friends have the whole go to kfc where yeah, oh. yeah, and, but like that's have my the whole part. yeah, like they have that whole argument where it's like, man, like, like Dap, why is it not okay to just want a nice job? Like my yeah. parents worked enslaved so that I could be at this college. Why is it not okay that I want a nice job? And they all like are mad at each other, and then they leave, and then they're just like, I don't know, you want to go to KFC though? And then they all get <laughs> over it and so get much. K- and that is easily the best. And then when they go the get movie. KFC, you get the fucking the craziest cameo of samuel l jackson yes <laughs> this person oh my god KFC, which is like insane no it's definitely that and the musical scene are my two favorite scenes in the whole film i i i wish that there was a bit more of the positive reinforcement for the greek life you know i feel mm-hmm. like it is pretty bashed to be honest in this film and while there are definitely some very very toxic things that are about it like while like a lot of that is true that you see in the film there I mean people join it for a reason you know like it's it's a those are wonderful institutions to be a part of when they're done correctly and they have the right values and I think this I think this film is just like a little bit too one-sided you know (laughs) um and I think that actually does short shrift on both ends I mean it's like what you said like when you have one person writing controlling and like directing the artistic vision you don't get like a really nuanced conversation. You get like a really preci- like precise idea of what Spike yeah, Lee thinks about like, it. Yeah, but then it's like this is Spike Lee, right? Like do the mm. right thing is very nuanced. Like you walk away yeah. from that film angry at white people, but also kind of like damn, Sal, like I kind of feel what you're going through, bro. Like that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like and I mean, I think that's the thing about Spike Lee is like he'll always make big swings and some of them won't be big misses. Last thing I like the ending. I love when Spike Lee, because he always does, has his turn to camera moment. I think they're usually the best moments in his films. They're kind of signature. Like, to me, the end of Black Klansman, phenomenal. The only part that I think is even phenomenal about The Five Bloods is, um, um, I forget the actor's name, and it's really upsetting me that I'm forgetting his name. Oh, Delroy Lindo. His monologue to camera, I think it's one of the most, like, stellar and most well-delivered monologues I've ever fucking heard to camera ever in my entire life but like Spike Lee is really really good at the like two camera thing that gets at the crux of the film it's kind of like when you're reading like a Greek fable or whatever and it's got like the moral baked in in one line and you're like ah yes the reason why (laughs) this was written (laughs) like the reason why I am reading this like that's always what that scene is about for Spike Lee films like you even have in Do the Right Thing like Radio Rahim who is kind of like the symbol of the film to me 
looks to camera like a few times in that film he's good at the two camera moment i think for this it functions the same way as the boys in the hood stop sign at the end you know mm-hmm. where it's like stop killing each other this is him saying like wake up like because clearly as we have deduced he is very one-sided on this he is the Lawrence Fishburne mindset right he does yeah. not necessarily approve of the Giancarlo Esposito mindset the film is very clear about that unfortunately um, it's very one-sided and the wake up is kind of just like the embodiment of everything that Lawrence Fishburne is talking about throughout the film. Like he wants black people to wake up. He wants them to be liberated. He wants them to like do whatever, whatever. Did he make a good case for it? No, not really. (laughs) But that scene itself, I really enjoy because it's usually like the thesis of the film. And it's just signature. It's like how Pharrell starts his songs with that, like four count, you know, Uh, like uh, it's, uh, yeah, uh. it's it's signature. And, And I look for it. I enjoy it every time. Yeah, I would. I appreciate you kind of surmising what it means, and I. I will say, I. I, I guess I assumed that. Like I knew what he was getting at, but it just frustrated me because, unlike "Do the Right Thing," where I felt like I really understood what he was saying in the "Come to Camera" moment, because of all of the baggage of the film. It yeah. really weighed down what that moment could have meant and how much it could have, you know, really emphasized and put a pin in what it was trying to say. Yeah, and again, I would like to point out that that moment is somewhat spurred on again by this traumatic situation that not just, I mean, I'm trying to think of the better word than happens, but like happens to this girl. And it's again, like, when I think about that too, I just get angry because it's like, he literally like used her trauma for nothing other than this like half baked statement throughout the film or like some sort of enlightenment for these male characters. And that to me is like, don't know if I could ever forgive him for that entirely, you know, but I don't know. People grow, Mm -hmm. I guess. I hope. All right. On that note. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, um, move on to next week next which is gonna be very different (laughs) thank god yeah way fucking lighter jesus christ but do you want to talk about the movie first yeah so we did it again this way um where oh by the way i'm still not i still haven't come to any consensus about whether i think the album and the film this episode worked well together i feel like they're just they didn't clash but they didn't mesh they just kind of both exist i don't know um, but yeah, for next episode, um, we did another one where I send a trailer and Ben chooses an album based on the trailer instead of the opposite way around of me basing the film off an album or artist. And I sent him the trailer to the iconic and I cannot ex- express just how iconic this film is. Like I will be sending Ben like viewing materials to watch after he's watched the film to fully grasp how iconic this film is but the iconic film clueless i don't know if it started this but i think it did start this trend which is one of my absolute favorite trends on record of like mid to late 90s early 2000s rom teen rom-coms that are adaptations of classic literature so Mm -hmm. clueless is actually an adaptation of Emma I think it does a really good job of like 
towing that line from what I understand because I not have I have not personally read Emma, but I think it does a really good job of like towing that line, but still adapting it to you know a more modern situation. There's so much more I would love to say about Clueless, but I suggested Clueless, and he chose for me the. <laughs> I'm just thinking of your response when I texted you the title to make sure you hadn't seen it. The album is The Oil of Every Pearl's Uninsides by Sophie, which mm-hmm. is a stroke in a title, trying to read it out loud, but yep. is, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of a lot of people, the defining hyperpop album. And I, and I will say this explicitly. When she sent me this movie... I knew that the perfect pair for it was Britney Spears. But Nadir has listened to everything Britney Spears, so we can't do that. I have. And so I figured, okay, well, what's the new era of pop that I really want to dissect and talk about? And I think that hyperpop in Sophie is really important to talk about, particularly with her untimely passing. She's one of the most important artists in my life. Um, You know, getting candid, she was one of the artists who made me feel comfortable in coming out. So I have a lot of opinions on this album and a lot of thoughts, but I think it will be a really, maybe not like one-to-one pair with Clueless, but like it will kind of show the mutation of pop culture. Yeah, like an evolution. Yeah, and this evolution and not so much as like an exact pair. But I mean, I'm really, I'm so, so excited to talk about this album. And I'm also excited to learn what the hell I've been missing with this movie because uh, clearly I've made a mistake somewhere. I mean, clearly I made a mistake every day of my life having not seen it previously. I'm not even sure if you'll enjoy it, but just as a basis of understanding American teen culture now, like, it, it, it's, it's, I'm surprised you've even made it this far. Like, maybe, it would, maybe it would just explain why high school was miserable for me. <laughs> it might. It really might. Um. God, I love this movie. Yeah, I'm so excited, and it's so light. Like after everything we've watched, like Handmaiden, School Days, and all the albums we've listened to, it's it's so lighthearted. Like I'm just yeah, it'll be great. Ready to just melt. Um. Yeah, that is it. So I we can firmly say that School Days and so the so the fly so so the flies don't so, 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 so the flies don't come so the flies yes, don't come i yes. got there oh, so the flies so don't good. come is, off is firmly off the list <laughs> goodbye everybody uh, bye see you next time oh jesus Philadelphia. <laughs> that should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. <laughs>